Welcome to Regeneration Studio. I'm Katerina Joubert, and this is the sixth narrative journey into creative business ideas and how they transform individuals and communities. Design is a rich word, rich in the sense that it references almost every non-natural object we come across. It doesn't only imply logos or artwork, it refers to the world we inhabit, and designers have the power to shape that world. From the clothes we wear, the buildings we live in, the apps we use and the desks we sit at, everything has been designed by people who have specialised in a specific field of design. These fields include architecture, fashion, product, graphic, web and brand design. And the most effective designs combine creativity with an understanding of technology and an aspiration to innovate. In other words, creating something more aesthetically pleasing or user-friendly or practical than what already exists. In this episode, we will be delving into the enigmatic world of design and why good design can enrich our lives. My guest today is David Marshall, founder and creative director of Counter Studio, a design agency based in London. He's also the founder of Counter Press, a letterpress workshop, which we'll tell us more about later on. Welcome to the show, David. Hi, thanks for having me. To give our listeners an idea of who you are, imagine there's a film or book soon to be released called Counter Studio. Can you briefly introduce yourself in the style of a film trailer or book blurb? Uh, this is such a cruel first question. You should know Everybody that. Everybody says that. <laughs> it's uh, it, notoriously the most difficult thing to do, the blurb of a book or even about yourself. Um, and I'm not entirely sure that our story would make it to film, to be honest with you. Um, so I don't really know. I don't... <laughs> We talked about this. I don't really know what to to say about this to make it feel kind of thematic. I guess our story is 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 kind of a personal one, mm-hmm. um, and the Counter Studio is quite a personal thing for us. So, um, I guess it was, in a nutshell, it was it was two designers who um, lost their jobs and got thrown back in time and had to find their way back to the future in a way, I guess. This sounds very exciting, actually. (laughs) Part one, the power to shape the world. I happened to come across uh, your website while doing research about an article on the wine shop 14 Drops, one of your previous clients. I've been absolutely mesmerized by your portfolio. The way you present your projects on your website is very evocative of the thought process that went into each project. And it's also beautifully laid out. These examples of pragmatic creativity can change the viewpoint of someone else as well. Case in point, I showed your website to a friend of mine in graphic design and I could see their eyes light up. And I think this is what we call the spark of inspiration. So Counter Studio is a design agency that 
prides itself on doing good work with good people. What do you understand by good work and good people? Um, well, I guess they're both very subjective terms, right? So, I mean, it depends on, they're not very good descriptors, I guess, for us, but from our point of view, good, good work is work that, that does a job that gets the client to where they need to be, that helps engage with the right audience, and also something that endures, something that's practical and that the client can work with into the future. So that it's got, it's got a longevity to it. And in terms of good people, I think, again, totally subjective, but, but good people for us are people who um, care about what they do, that care about design and value what it can do for their business and that want to engage in the process and that respects everyone really. And in terms of longevity, what do you mean by that? Just being able to carry the design on or like something that will last, that will continue having that, the effect you wanted to create? Uh, well, there's two things there, really. I think the, the first thing is longevity. We'd like to think that the work that we create will endure. Um, you know, I think we all strive for something that's got slightly timeless quality to, to it so that it doesn't date too quickly and yes. need to be changed. Um, and the second thing I think comes back to, you know, you mentioned it at the start that, that one of our philosophies is this idea of pragmatic creativity and I think that we used to work with someone who always talked about it was no good having the work looking great on our studio wall if when it goes to the client it can't be continued you know if they can't manage the assets if they haven't got the skill sets or the people to do it then you know that's when things start to fall apart so there's something about knowing the the application and how it's going to work going forward to make sure that it's usable. Yes. And um, what kind of design work do you do? A whole range of things, really. So it, it's it's predominantly brand work. So it, it, it's graphic design, but we, we, we focus more heavily on branding. So it's identity. But within that, we have things like tone of voice, film, animation, editorial, print, so is a, we cover a huge spectrum of of kind of design disciplines, but but usually it's wrapped up under 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 branding. And then, how did Counter Studio start? You did touch on it at the start. And how do, has it developed recently? So, Counter Studio was sort of an accident. To go right back to the start, um, uh, Elizabeth, my co-founder and I were working together at a small agency in London and we got made redundant on the same day. And this was, must have been 2009, 2010. So, so the credit crunch. Okay. And we basically said, you know, it was kind of a, a, a what now moment, you know, what do we do? And we had obviously some time on our hands. So we did um, a, a a course in letterpress okay. something that we sort of we wanted to do for a long time and from that i mean the short story is from that we kind of started the counter press which is a, a letterpress workshop and we started to accumulate type and presses and machinery 
And we put together this thing, which was always going to be a sideline. It was always going to be an escape for us to do creative work that wasn't attached to a client or a brief or a budget. And over time, the, the, the press kind of gained sort of a momentum of its own. And we started to get people asking us if we could do work. And we were having people come to us and say, really like what you do. Do you do it digitally? And we were like, well, yeah, that's what we do do. So we started doing client work through the thing that was meant to be a sideline. Mm -hmm. And it got to the point where we said, this is silly. People didn't really know what we did and it was a bit confusing. So we started the counter studio as a way of compartmentalizing what had become a little bit mixed up. Yes. And can you give a couple of examples of what Counterpress does? So, well, Counterpress is a, it's a weird one. I mean, we, we again, it was, it was started as, a, as a, an escape for us, really, a creative outlet that didn't involve clients and time. So we use traditional wood and metal type only, so nothing mm -hmm. digital at all. So it's all hand-composed typography, as it would have been done back in the day. Um, we print things, um, we print a newspaper, we print booklets, we print broadsheets and posters, mm -hmm. really anything we sort of feel that we need to do. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, quite, it's quite eclectic, but it's, it's, more of a, it's more of a, we have an idea and we find a message and a way of expressing that through typography. Yes. And does it make a big difference, say, as opposed to something that's just printed normally? I imagine it does. It makes a big difference for us. I mean, in terms of the process, it's been hugely beneficial for us in terms of letterpress is very, very slow. It's mm -hmm. a very meticulous process. Everything's done by hand. Setting type takes hours as opposed to minutes. And so for us, we find that it, it, it changes the way we think, it slows us down, it puts more of an emphasis on what you're doing in the moment. And so I think from a design point of view, and as designers, it's helped us improve um, in terms of our ideas, in terms of typography, in terms of thinking. And I'd like to think that the printed material that we produce has a, has a tactile and beautiful quality that, that other forms of printing don't have as well. Yes. Well, if it's uh, linked at all to the, I've seen a couple of uh, pictures of the business cards on your website. Is that an example of it? Yeah. Yes, because yeah, it, it so, looks so, so, completely different. Yeah, so we do, we, we, we tend to do small little bits like business cards and postcards and things. So mm -hmm. it does have, it does have, um, it does have a different material quality. And in fact, we've used, we've used the technique and the press to create artwork for one of our clients, which we've then digitized and turned into, um, we've turned into brand assets for them. So there's a nice little crossover between the analog and the digital. Mm -hmm. um, and if anyone's interested in uh, seeing examples of these projects and also what Counterpress does, you can just visit their website at uh, counterstudio.co.uk. Last question before I carry on is simply where did the name Counter Studio Counterpress come from? Was there any specific reason for it or just sounded cool? I mean, it's, <laughs> it started because we had this idea that 
we wanted to do something slightly different to what was out there at the time. So at the time, letterpress was either fine press books, um, you know, hugely expensive, um, you know, vellum and, you know, very fine art collections, or it was things that were sort of inaccessible. So we wanted to do something that was a bit more accessible and a bit more forward thinking. And we also at the time had, when we started, we had very small presses that were, were kind of countertop presses. So there was this, there was this, this theme of a countertop press doing something slightly differently. And then within typography, the negative space within a letter. So the, the, you know, the, the, the hole within an O is called a counter. Okay. So there were all of these little threads of things that started to weave together. And we quite like this idea that we were kind of a counter could be a name. It, it never intended to, to sort of stretch on into anything other than just being the press. But when we started the studio, it made sense to link the two. So if someone considers themselves an artist and they're interested in pursuing a career in art, there are many different fields they could consider. And as with any career, if you want to make a successful start, you will need a plan, dedication, and be ready to put in hard work. Can you give us an idea of your professional background and what made you decide to pursue a career in design? I think it was a fairly straightforward progression, really. I was always fascinated with drawing and painting and art at school. And I knew that I wanted to do something creative. And very early on, I think I, I, I kind of, I, I guess, like a lot of designers, you know, record sleeves and posters, started to become interested in graphics and what that does. And... I guess all the way through school and college and then university, that was kind of, that was just something I knew that I wanted to, to do. Um, and then from university, um, I was fortunate enough to get a job in London fairly quickly. And then I ended up here. And uh, so you deliberately choose to remain small, or at least that's what I understand from your, from what you've said on your website. What is meant by a small design company as opposed to medium, large? Well, I mean, again, this is totally subjective. I guess this comes down to a comfort level for us, really. Um, we both started our careers at a smaller agency, mm -hmm. which was, um, I guess, eight to 12 people at its biggest. Um, and I think at that that level, it's manageable. It feels more like a family. I think there is there's a good connection between everything and who does what. And then throughout our careers, uh, we spent time as freelance designers, and we moved to bigger agencies. And we were lucky enough to work at some of the some of the really big agencies, the global agencies, um, with you know 100 people in the office. Yes. And. I think for us, it, it never felt quite comfortable or right in that situation. It felt like it was too big. There were too many inefficiencies. It was too slow. Um, there was too many people being disconnected from the process. The client was very removed. Um, and it didn't feel to us naturally, instinctively, like the best way of doing good work. So for us, being smaller means that we've, we can be more manageable. We can be in closer contact with the client. We can be a bit more hands-on with what gets done. Mm. 
and it just feels like it's a it's a much happier um, way of working when things are slightly smaller. Part two, making design that works. So design-driven businesses, it's generally thought they do better than those where little thought has gone into the conceptualization of the brand. And by brand, I just mean the identity of the business. So designing business can even go as deep as bringing together people and disciplines and considering their core problems in new ways. One of your mottos is making design that works. As mentioned before, the projects listed on your website definitely attest to that. So you seem to be doing something different and maybe you've mentioned some of these things already. But according to you, if you had to summarize it in three characteristics, what sets your studio apart? Um, a good question. I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything that really sets us apart. I mean, there's there's lots of people doing great work in the world. So I think we're just we're just trying to do, like we say, we're just trying to do good work with good people. But I think if there's three things, um, one of them would be care. We care about what we do. We like to think we care about our clients and we care about getting good work done. The second thing is this idea of craft. I think that comes from the press side of things where you have to be very meticulous and spend a lot of time sort of working into things. I think attention to details has really improved since we've been doing that. So I think there's something about going, uh, I don't want to say going the extra mile, that's a bit of a cliche, but just doing things to, 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 to the absolute best of your ability and making sure that you spend as much time as you can getting them, getting them right. And then the third thing which I've touched on is this idea of, of pragmatic creativity. I mean, I think we, we want to do things that, that, that work. And I think I've seen too many identities or brands or pieces of design that go out into the real world and fail fairly quickly. And not because they're bad pieces of design per se, but because they don't, they're not suitable for the application that they're going to get used in or that the client can't use them. So you work with a range of clients it's the sensitivity, I think, with which you tell your clients' stories, which reveals an understanding of the brands that you work with, and your goal to do good work that is then inspiring to others. Can you firstly maybe give us a few examples of clients you've worked with and what kind of work you've done for them? Yeah, so, I mean, going back in... Um going back in time throughout our career with different agencies we've worked with people like uh piano cruises the aa ba some of the banks lloyds um so we've done some so we've, we've worked with kind of i guess national multinational brands throughout our careers by default because there's the counter studio is is a much smaller agency we're currently working with smaller clients which is actually it, it that's a very rewarding thing in its own right because it means that we are close to decision makers and we're working with people who generally have a vested interest in what they're doing which is which is which is a nice emotional connection to have but we've been working with font smith who are london type foundry mm -hmm. um helping them with a lot of their creative output 
Um, we've worked with the British Hat Guild, 14 Drops, as you mentioned. So we've done some restaurants as well. Things like Babendum in London, which is a two Michelin star restaurant. Babendum's based in the old Michelin building. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this beautiful um, Art Deco, Art Nouveau combination of tiling and very ornate metalwork. And so the identity and all of the work we did was actually inspired by the building. All right. We basically got to the point where we said, what you don't want to do is create something extra and layer it on top of this already really ornate and really beautiful building. You don't want to be adding stuff to it. Okay. You want to almost be taking what's there and turning it into the identity itself. So okay. that was, that was, that was a, a piece of work that we, we basically extrapolated what was there and turned it into something graphic. Great. And then how do you ensure a deep understanding of what the client wants to express through their brand? Um, I think this is, this is all about conversation, really. I mean, we spend a lot of time listening, mm-hmm. spend a lot of time talking with them. We meet people that have an understanding of what needs to happen. Um, and so we spend a lot of time sort of trying to unearth what it is that they need. Nine times out of 10, a client already knows this stuff. They just can't articulate it. They okay. can't find a way to manifest it and you, you very often we play stuff back to them and they're like oh my god i can't believe you've got it and it's like it's all the things that you said but they were they were hidden deep they were buried and they were they were being confused so i mean i think we talk a lot we listen to them we always spend a huge amount of time doing quite a lot of research so the first part of any project we do audits and we look at the market we look at the competition we look at the client and we get quite forensic and we, we delve into these things to try and see who's doing what, what they're doing. So, so we try and get a really good understanding of, of them before we even uh, put pen to paper, as it were. Yeah. And how did you get in touch with 14 Drops? Because, I mean, they're in the northeast and you're down in London. Was it just simply they contacted you or? So this actually came through, a, um, this is one of those lovely things where it came through a family connection. Okay. So Elizabeth, my partner's um, cousin, was a sommelier and moved back home in London. She moved back home to the, to the northeast and set up 14 drops. Okay. And so it was one of those things where they needed some help and it was, it was something that we could do. Mm-hmm. I see. So this is really all very interesting to me because I don't know much about it. I've worked with um, graphic designers before and I think there are some things that that you need to avoid. What is a successful way of working with a client? uh, client? And then what are some of the things that designers should avoid? Well, I think, I mean, again, for us, good design really is born out of of a relationship. It's born out of trust. Mm And you can only really gain trust by being open and honest with people. And that's a two way thing. The client needs to be open and honest with you, which you can't force them to do. Um, but you need to be open and honest and transparent. Um, and I think, you know, most importantly, don't bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. this we, we need to be. There's a whole the design industry or the creative industry can be very guilty of 
falling into you know its own nonsense if that makes sense sometimes like any industry i guess people use jargon it all mm -hmm. starts to become very introspective and people start to kind of um almost becomes like a pseudoscience right. and i think i think when you start dressing these things up in in uh, inflated language mm. then i think it's when you start to you start to lose some of that authenticity so i mean that's, mm. I, we try to keep things very simple and very plain yes and that that shows and i mean the the language you use on your website and how you describe yourselves as well part three developing sensitivity towards others we are experiencing a difficult time at the moment firstly did you have to adapt the ways in which you work as a design studio? And have, have there been any other implications um, for the field of design in general because of the virus outbreak? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, this, we're, we're in, I mean, I don't think any of us have seen anything like this. So it, we're, we're all sort of learning as we go along, I guess. I mean, I mean for us, I mean, we're, we're, we're very small. We're a very small agency there's really only two of us at the core and then we work with other people remotely but a lot largely that's always been done remotely so in terms of ways of working for us it's not it's not hugely changed um how we work luckily obviously we can't get to the press so the analog side of things the the kind of press is sort of is on ice at the moment because we can't physically get there and do anything with it but in terms of the general industry, I don't know. I think there's going to be, it's going to be a lot of changes. Unfortunately, I think there's going to be a lot of people losing their jobs. I think um, clients go into meltdown and they, they put the brakes on projects, obviously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think it's going to be different. I mean, one, one thing that I think might, might come out of all of this is this idea of remote working is more of a possible Yes. thing to do and i i think it's going to challenge the big agency model i think has been under threat for a little while this mm -hmm. the whole idea that you need to have 100 people in one one office in one location that's probably going to change entirely because yeah know, just it makes it unpractical now if yep. we have to go into these kind of lockdown situations from time to time yeah so as I've mentioned, I've worked with a few graphic designers before on developing brands. And I think a harder aspect of the work is definitely having a sensitivity towards what others need as opposed to what they necessarily want. I don't know if you've found this before and being able to guide them maybe in the right direction. It's about capturing an identity in a way that makes it appealing and understandable to, well, the client's clients basically and a good designer should be able to achieve this say someone's looking to get a brand designed what should they consider when picking a design studio well, they should consider us <laughs> uh no but seriously i think i think this is all about um i think again this all comes back to trust and honesty I mean, I think we have we have an interesting relationship with a lot of our clients where sometimes we tell them things that they don't want to hear. Mm -hmm. And I think you have to be 
I think you have to be brave enough to say to someone, this isn't the right course of action. But similarly, I think you need to be able to say, I think we've got this wrong. And I think we need to look, step back and look at yeah. something else. So yeah. I think it's a two way thing. Um, and I think that the client adds to the, adds to the solution as much as we do. You know, I think I think there's a dialogue between us that, that gets to a place that we probably wouldn't get to on our own. But I think if you're commissioning design, I think you need to find someone that 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 you you feel like you could have that relationship with, that you feel that you can talk to honestly, that you feel that they're listening and that they understand you. And also I do think there's got to be <clears throat> in any relationship, there's got to be, it can't all be kind of um compromise i think you've got to have a bit of tension so so people that are willing to push against each other a little bit as well so you can you can really sort of push towards a, a better result mm -hmm. according to you how is developing this kind of sensitivity and understanding of others in general applicable to all of us during this time it's a good question i, I i'd like to think that what comes out of this current crisis is that that, that we rediscover a little bit of uh empathy and understanding for each other you know when times are good it's very easy to get sort of myopic and um trapped in your own little world and i think hopefully what will come out of this is, is a greater understanding of other people and other people's needs yes. um because i think you know at the end of the day we're all in this together right so we've all got to try and find mm. our way through it so i think understanding what people need and, and and trying to find a way of of helping them to get that is you know a very important part of society yes and that sometimes as you mentioned uh, get lost when everything's going well yeah exactly. and we're just carrying on <laughs> yeah i mean i it'd be interesting to see how quickly things do return to normal mm. and what does go back to you know, yes, normal, normal, as we normal, normal. Um, remember it. Yeah, yeah but it's, it's interesting. It's a very interesting mm -hmm. time. That's true. Thank you again for joining me today, David. And um, before we go, I have a few quick questions to round up the show. And so that listeners can get to know you a little bit better. So first of all, what is the most recent film series you watched or podcast you listened to or book you read? So I've been working through an author called Robert Harris. I've been reading um, Fatherland and um, Munich, which oh. are based in and around the war, fictionalized, but based in and around the Second World War. They're very good. What is your number one tip to help us cope during this time? Oh, crikey. Be kind just you know it's very difficult it's, it's easy to get i mean especially when you're cooped up with people children partners family whoever it might be it's easy you know people are gonna gonna get tested people are gonna lose their patience i think we just have to be yeah. kind and, and remember that we're all in a difficult situation and all being stressed out by it yes very true and then can you tell us about the biggest challenge you've overcome in your life yeah, I mean, I guess the last time everything went bad in the world and we got made redundant and we were sort of thrown out into a, you know, we were 
we weren't sure what we were going to do next, how we were going to work, what we wanted to do. I think sort of there was a little period of self-discovery there that was that was quite a challenge. And jumping from a full-time job into freelancing and going into different agencies and meeting different people and having to respond very quickly is a whole different way of life. Yeah. And and it took me a long time to get to get over to get over that, I think. Right. And then when all of this is over, what is the first place or country that you will visit? I think I was gonna say the pub. But I think uh, <laughs> I think everyone's uh, feeling the same. <laughs> <laughs> it might be the pub. I, I, I think I think I'd like to just go and see family and friends, my mum and dad, people that, that, you know, FaceTime's great. And we can, you know, we're still talking, but it's, it's, it's different from, you know, putting your arm around mm -hmm. someone. Yes, very true as well. And then last question, if someone wanted advice on entering a career in design, what would you tell them? Be persistent, you know, keep going. It's not an easy career to get into. It's not an easy career to, it's just not an easy, I don't think it's a very easy to, a career full stop. I mean, you sort of, as creative people, we tend to be fairly insecure. Uh, uh, imposter syndrome is, is fairly high amongst, you know, amongst a lot of people yeah. I know, certainly. So I think you've just got to, you know, be persistent, keep going and keep believing in yourself and um, be kind. Yeah. And I suppose also be able to take some criticism because that's the other part of any creative industry, really. Yeah, I mean, not, don't, that's a really good point. I mean, not be too precious. Yeah. It's interesting when we have conversations with the clients and they almost apologise before they give you negative feedback. And it's like, oh. you've got to understand that it's fine because you know this is what we do and although you are putting a little bit of yourself out on the line it's not the same as being a kind of an artist mm -hmm. you know when it's it's not the, what we do isn't about us it's about them and so if 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 the client isn't happy and the client doesn't think it's right then then you know we have to we have to go along with that that's yeah. that's not a slight on what we're doing If you are interested in finding out more about Counter Studio or Counter Press, or if you want to see some of the great design projects, visit their website at counterstudio.co.uk. You can also find them on Instagram or Twitter at counter underscore studio. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you're an aspiring artist or would like to find out more about what makes effective design work, be sure to read the linked article on my blog. And don't forget, if you enjoyed this narrative journey, kindly spread the word by leaving me a review on Apple or Google Podcasts or Spotify, sharing the podcast episode and giving me a thumbs up on social media. Join me next time for more narrative journeys into creative business ideas. <laughs>